clubhouse. We've been teasing an end-of-season contest, and here it is. We here at Decorating the Set wish to honor and acknowledge the wonderful and heroic frontline workers that have put their health and safety on the line for the last year in order to keep all of us safe and also keep our country running as close to normal as possible. So to thank them, we are pleased to announce our Frontline Workers Hero Appreciation Contest. The rules are simple. We want you to nominate the Frontline Worker Hero in your life and tell us why. That's it. That's all you have to do. The Frontline Worker winner of the contest will win a free interior design consultation session with Beth Kushnick, as well as a gift certificate sponsored by Raymore and Flanagan to help put your new design ideas into action. To enter your favorite frontline worker, just head to podclubhouse.com and fill out the official contest form. See the post at Pod Clubhouse for all the official rules and contest information. No purchase or payment is necessary to enter. Void where prohibited by law. So come on, now is the time to thank these doctors, nurses, food and agricultural workers, United States Postal Service workers, grocery store workers, public transit workers, firefighters, police officers, teachers, aides, and daycare workers. Nominate your frontline worker hero today. Welcome to Decorating the Set, from Hollywood to your home, with your hosts, Beth Kushnick and Caroline Daly. Welcome to Decorating the Set, from Hollywood to your home. This is Caroline. Hey, Beth. Hey, Caroline. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so happy it's springtime. It is so nice outside. Is it nice where you are? Or you're still snowing? (laughs) No, we're not still snowing, but we're approaching better weather times. Better times all around, right? Yep. Beth, people may not know all the ways in which you've broken the mold in the world of set decoration. For instance, that you were the first set decorator to have a licensed line of decor items. I find that so fascinating. I'm so excited to learn more about that. We're going to talk about that in an entire podcast dedicated to that. But tell me a little bit, tell our listeners, what led to that? Well, Caroline, there have been a couple of crossover situations that I found myself in in the last... 10 or 15 years, really, as I've talked about before, bringing myself out from behind the scenes. They've included some firsts. Uh, I was lucky enough to collaborate with Mitchell Gold and Bob Williams on the first home decor license in TV history, actually, for The Good Wife and The Good Fight. That was a happy day to see that headline in The Hollywood Reporter and Variety. That has led me to, let's call them some side gigs that have a lot of crossover with whatever show I was working on at the time and created my own line of what I consider my go-to pieces that could work in any kind of style, any environment in your home, in any set. For some time, those were sold at big box stores. So that must have led to a lot more public notoriety for you because, you know, most of the time we don't get to know too much about the crew behind the scenes. 
Beth, following the launch of the line and you actually coming out from behind the curtain and getting all this notoriety, what was it like to suddenly be recognized by fans and having this interaction? It was scary at first, quite honestly, but then it became something that I actually really enjoyed, especially in my insomnia. You know, at, <laughs> late at night, I do I know. Was, <laughs> Late at night, I was uh, answering questions from fans and started uh, by creating a blog, giving retail sources of which sometimes people believed me and other times they didn't. You know, people tend to think that I'm spending a lot of the network's money doing set decoration. But in fact, I had to give my attention to the budget. So that was kind of interesting. Got a lot of offers to fly all over the country and be people's interior designer, but I had to keep my my shows going and my team going. And, you know, of course, the other part of it that really struck me and gave me a whole new platform, which has continued to this day to doing a podcast, was uh, becoming internet savvy. It wasn't something that I really had in my wheelhouse at that point, but doing the blog, doing Twitter chats with impressions and knowing that fans from all over the country were asking the same question to each other, like, why is that lamp on Alicia's bedside table? <laughs> did it change anything or did it give you like a different perspective to hear pretty immediate feedback from fans to say like, why did you choose that color? Like, did it get, make you have a second? Think about it because I know for you, you're super decisive. So if someone were to come back to you and be like all these fans being like, why did you do that particular thing? Did it ever make you question like, why did I do that particular thing? Um, it might have, especially in that situation, because I did think about that exact lamp because it was something that was maybe not as traditional a piece that I would have normally chosen for that character. It was a, a, a little edgy, but it was such a good height for the height of the end table and, and the large bed that we had in there. You know, it, was, it worked as a scale thing, and then it kind of took off in terms of color. I thought a lot about the fans and the kinds of things that I could help them with. And this communication that we could all of a sudden have, having the platform that I did, being able to look at pictures of their living room and uh, being able to answer so many questions that were coming in instead of writing specific emails back to everyone, because the same questions were pretty common, you know, big time questions about artwork, about color, paint, and certain pieces. But it made me realize that with this time grew a whole different kind of audience, which is exactly what we're talking about today, just in general, because the blog led to Twitter, which led to other shopping platforms where I was curating collections, led to my own licensed product, my collaboration with other companies on licensed product, and 
asked to give my opinion on what things worked for certain characters. People Magazine's gift guide for Christmas. What would Diane's gift be? You know, things like that. And there was the start of this tie-in of film, television, and decor. It just happened at the perfect time for me, which led to all kinds of other things, brought me to a podcast and now to doing this whole get the look thing, which, you know, that's what we called it. Get the good look of the good wife, get the look of bridge and tunnel, whatever it is. It was this craving now that people have to get the things that they see. It seems so natural, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, most of us turn to magazines at the beginning of everything, right? Where everyone was looking into magazines or billboards or things like that. What's on the showroom floor. But now we're all in our own homes looking at things like the television screen all day. What a natural, you know, advancing of how this would all work. What would inspire all of us? Why wouldn't it be our favorite character's bedroom? It's true. It has people thinking in a visual way. It's something that either I think people who always were kind of in tune with that vibe just took it that much further. But even more so than that, I think it just opened up this world of possibilities to a whole new set of eyes, you know, that are thinking in a different way and making their purchases, how they're spending their money, how they spend their time, what they want to do in terms of how they dress, their accessories, all kinds of aspects of design being inspired by what they're seeing consistently on TV and in movies. As a viewer, I think I always had the impression that, well, I can't have that table or I can't have that particular cabinetry or whatever because they have a carpenter on set who built this for them and I can't have that. And it wasn't until talking to you where I realized, no, you guys really do use vendors that I also have access to. I can get that look just by talking with the decorator and paying attention to what's out there through things like Instagram and through things like our podcast where they can reach out to you and get better information where to get it. It, Isn't that funny that like, I just kind of assumed that like the costumer, you know, they designed the outfit and that's the only place you could get it is because they sewed it, you know? And it was like, oh no, you could go to a store and get that. It's, it's really cool how over the conversations that we've been having and then just opening the door in general in the industry to behind the scenes, like how things are really done. You've been so great to share those things with us. Are you surprised that viewers didn't really understand that you're not hand making everything? I'm not surprised because it has always been something that you know people feel is so so difficult to achieve it takes the experience and kind of the right outlook believe me when i tell you that my days of dressing a set let's talk pre-pandemic are filled with running literally running to a store you're working and working and sets and your own homes. And especially think of a set from the ground up. I start with an empty stage with nothing. Every single piece must be acquired. Every piece of hardware, every switch plate, every item. It is a massive undertaking. In the end, those sets eat up set dressing 
like it, it's just 10 times what you think, what you estimate, even in my best estimate, even we've talked about uh decorating for holidays, you know, going out and shopping Christmas for an entire set and you lay it all out and you look at it and it's six tables, but the actual doing, the physical doing of placing the items on set, all of a sudden six tables are gone and we still have two rooms left. Oh, wow. (laughs) You know, I want people to like really practically understand that I'm going to get in my Teamster-driven car and go to a regular store. You know, we don't have the time to usually, very much in TV, not so much in movies where you have a protracted prep time, but we don't have the time to plan this stuff. And, you know, that's why, of course, we work out of shops for years that we've cultivated But there are plenty of jobs I do that don't have a shop that I'm starting from ground zero and and building up from that. So it is a massive amount of stuff. And it's all about having it accessible to me. But, you know, I I think after all my years of experience, it's, it's my version of it. You know, that's why when I was creating licensed product for mass consumption, it was my go-to pieces, you know, things that I know that this globe is going to work in this traditional office, and I know it's going to work in this hipster loft. And that was always in my mind in terms of, you know, character-driven pieces that I was given the opportunity to design myself. That was a major, major awakening to to now be involved behind the scenes and in front of the scenes dealing with, uh, you know, licensed product and production overseas and SKU numbers and cost per item and, you know, how, how I was going to feature the items on set, which, you know, always kind of drove the best of it because, you know, that was my little Easter egg here or there. Honestly, I'll I'll never forget when the first set of boxes of my licensed product arrived at the at the shop and it said back home decor. You know, that was an incredibly proud moment for me. The more I used the pieces for different characters it really made me realize, you know, what I was drawn to the most and the most visually drawn to. We had a a desk set that I created in a kind of green, gray. It sort of looked like a a leather, but it it wasn't real leather, but a whole desk set. And I used it on Diane's desk. uh, um, And then all of a sudden we created it in a whole other colorway in a very, very light, but not bubblegum, you know, very light blush pink color. And that worked in a whole other setting. I was having these great opportunities to meld 
all my interests. Uh, yeah, I'm so excited that you have a variety of outlets now to be able to express your your style and give so much great advice to listeners and readers. So you're going to be sort of transitioning a little bit and giving some, some a different outlet for people. Talk to me a little bit about your new column with Aspire Magazine. Yes, I've recently been asked to uh, create post the Aspire Design and Home Awards for TV and film, a column that will allow me to take a show, a column, and create that look. You know, if it's a period piece, we'll find reproductions. If it's a contemporary piece, we'll find different price points where certain items will be available to the general public, and you'll be able to click on those items and have a retail source, just just like I used to do in my blog. There will be pieces that might be aspirational, but there will definitely be pieces that are attainable. And, you know, when I think back even to Bridge and Tunnel, we had uh, a fan share in the show because that was quintessential 70s, right? So we had a fan share and it was probably one of the single most expensive items I bought for the whole entire series. But we had also a velvet, tufted velvet pillow that fit perfectly on it that was readily available for less than 20 bucks. So to me, the big issue is always finding what I call the high and low. That was something that was always interesting to me with the fans is sometimes they really didn't believe that I actually got that item for so little money. Uh, This is a retraining maybe of people's mindsets and of... Uh, and of their eye, you know, literally uh, of the visual. So if you start to notice these things, you know, the the awards for Aspire, I think really made people dig deeper about floral design and artwork and things I've certainly heard from the fans about. But now it's it's going to be practically put in place for people. I'm excited for our listeners that they get a chance to listen to this interview with Jill Brooke, who is the founder of Flower Power Daily and the creator of the Best Trust Rooms in TV and Film Awards by Aspire Home and Design Magazine. We have that coming up next. And Beth, you guys have such a fantastic conversation explaining so much more about the column and about the awards. I think this is going to bring a wonderful spotlight onto the work that you do and hopefully get people to understand understand a little bit more about the the gigantic uh, to-do list that you have and how many different parts of the set that you really touch. I think it's really a gift for the fans. I am a voting member in the Motion Picture Academy and in the Television Academy, which is a both are a complete honor to be a part of. But this design award or awards is giving the fans a chance to vote. You literally have a say in what you see. And honestly, Caroline, of all the gigs, related gigs I've been a part of, my podcast is and continues to be uh, one of my absolute favorites. Beth, I'm very excited to have Jill Brooke on. She is here with us. She's the founder of Flower Power Daily and the Best Dressed Rooms in TV and Film Awards by Aspire Home and Design. So excited to have her on with us today. We have so many questions about this new awards show that you guys have come up with. 
Very excited to talk about her. Absolutely. Welcome, Jill. It was all Jill's idea that brought us to this place, thinking about people being home and binge watching during the pandemic and really getting attached to TV series, short-lived series, series with multiple seasons. And now with all these films streaming, people have become experts. And then, of course, what we've been talking about during the whole pandemic on the podcast is how to take these decorating ideas and infuse them into your own home. Hi, Jill. Hi, Beth. Boy, are we going to have fun today. There's so much to talk about. Jill, tell us a little bit more about your background with Flower Power Daily and creating that as well as the awards. Well, like everyone else, no matter what profession you've been in, what did we do all year? When nature presses the pause button, it forces us to have new perspectives. And what we could do, we could watch TV and we were streaming, which meant that also television was coming to us in a whole new way. So not only could we connect more to the characters, but we could also connect to the decor around us. And while we were watching, because we were 24-7 at home, we tended to notice like, you know, I'm not sure if I like that paint color. You know, I really should do something with that wallpaper. Oh, what I would do for a better desk chair or a better dining room table chair. We started to all of a sudden think about these two things. So basically, I had this idea that, you know, this is the perfect marriage. It is the marriage between TV and film as well as the decor. And of course, the unsung heroes in all the TV award shows, since I have been a CNN correspondent covering the entertainment for so many years, is this. If you look at who gets the awards in Hollywood, it's really been unfair because although the production designer is essential to any any show i want to explain to our audience what this really means they're like the architect they're the visionary but it is the set decorators who are very similar to the interior decorators who literally you know swoop in and they have to get everything from the forks to the rugs to the chairs to create the vision really i think that what we're trying to do here beth and certainly what you do so well is that When we get lost in these characters, when it comes to your own personal decor, you should start thinking, well, what character am I? How do I want to live my life? What design do I want around me? And I think that with your expertise, Beth, we can really help the audience right now start to consider that you are the star in your own show. And in fact, decor is one of the only things that you have personal control of. We can't control what happens to us in the outside world, but we can control the choices we make in how we create environments that make us personally happy and speak to us, who we are as a person and as a character. So that's what was so fun about this, because these set decorators that most people will never see in interior design magazines are absolute super stars because they're efficient, they're quick, and they're really knowledgeable. And what Beth and I were able to do, because I was smart enough to, you know, the secret of good decisions is finding the expert in the field that you're not. I found Beth, and then I said, well, how do we get this look for the audience so that they can access it and they access it and also think about it? And it's just really about knowledge, isn't it, Beth? Just thinking about what is in a room. Absolutely. Jill, first of all, you're speaking my language, my 37 years 
as a set decorator. And I think the incredible thing that you created here was that you're now including the audience. You know, everybody watches the Oscars and the Emmys, and that's where production designers and set decorators get noticed and are given awards. But here in the lengthy list of awards that you created for Aspire Design and Home Magazine were layered and and dove really deep into all the issues that we take into our minds as set decorators. And as you can think about in your own home, we had an award this season that was best room to evoke nostalgia. What an incredible thing with everybody watching period film and TV shows like Mank and The Queen's Gambit and One Night in Miami to notice that and teach everyone else who's watching that there are things that can go so far in the interior, in the setting to evoke nostalgia. You know, we just did an interview with the Bridgerton people, and they were delighted in how people were so receptive to this type of period decor. And furthermore, it created a 300% increase on request for Regency decor, and also to learn more about Regency decor, which is very sculptural chairs. It's wallpapers with lots of floral vines as well as stripes and it you know lots of blues of course and this was also inspired by a francophile you know english um, king at the time this concept then applied well i really like those that color palette and i really like some of those you know type of really beautiful chairs to just sit in and collapse into and the beauty of that set decorator is she also modernized what Regency was. So when you are seeing a lot of these shows on television, especially with skill sets like, you know, someone like Beth, they are taking exact um, replications of a particular period and then making it usually a little nicer if they, unless they're trying to get that gritty feel where it becomes relatable to the audience because even though it feels like after seeing Bridgerton, boy, that must have been a beautiful place to live in in 1813. Notice they never show you the bathrooms and they never show you that, you know, what about air conditioning and heating and all those good things. Yeah, we only present the beauty in a show like that. And yet it also makes it more relatable to allow people to see how these mixed styles of something more contemporary and say a Regency chair that you might have seen in a museum or in your grandmother's home, something that you now look at as a piece you might have some lust for, you know? So there are all kinds of ways to get the look on all kinds of budgetary levels that we're going to continue now to dive into and take these shows and films and really be able to get you the kind of thing that you want to have just directly from a set. And also, I think for me, as the, you know, since I love flowers and started Flower Power Daily, and what Flower Power Daily does anyway is that we look at how flowers intersect in news stories and history and cultural events. And we realize that the popularity of flowers, because that they've always been such symbols of hope and beauty around the corner, 
is that it is now tracking, as you see in many of these shows, to be a popular decor motif. We're seeing a, a rise in floral wallpapers and everything from The Undoing to Bridgerton to Emma to The Crown, you name it. We're also seeing it in costume design and you know hair accessories and jewelry. So we're really seeing flowers blooming everywhere because I think people want to feel happy and hopeful because we've had to press the pause button on so much this year that you're seeing it everywhere. And, you know, I think also that there have been many shifts. And one of the shifts is that the contemporary just very gray and um, beige and neutral white is now going to edge a little differently towards um, floral design and more patterns. Do you see that too? I do. And it's also an infusion of color. It's not necessarily just a feminine aspect. You know, of course, we think that way initially about flowers, but, you know, there are ways, as I've talked about with the florist, Gerald Palumbo from Seasons that I've worked with for so many years, you know, we do have to create for characters and in our own homes a way for it also to be not over the top feminine, but to maybe have some modern aspects to it, some more even masculine aspects to it. And during this whole pandemic time, when you watch these films and and TV shows, the other thing that I think is interesting for the audience is, you know, when we're considering the flowers for a show, we're also considering the exterior spaces. In a show like Bridgerton, when they're doing walk and talks, we call them in the film business, you know, just walking down a, a gravel road with your horse and carriage. What you're seeing was created there by the set decorating department, the production designer, and now the floral designer, which has really become a whole new way to layer. And I think that's so interesting you said that, because let's shift gears for one second and just stop for a moment, because one of the things that we're really very proud of for at Aspire Design and Home magazine for these awards is it is the first time and first show where there has been a separate category for best floral design because in the past what would happen is that you know the producer's nephew who would just bring coffee would get a film credit and the florists who tirelessly worked there for weeks and now and 12 hour days and never would get anything now can and with this category and with simultaneously because of covid that there are 16 million new gardeners alone just in the united states people are paying attention to florals and how it enhances environment Just like you said, not only indoors, but outdoors. So that walk and talk example that you just gave, Beth, which was such a great example, you are seeing far more perennial gardens, um, you know, perennial flowers being used to literally layer those pathways so that, you know, people see flowers because they're really enjoying them far more. And I don't know which came first, did the egg or the hen? But it seems to just have happened. What's your opinion? So much of this work was done a shot on location, you know, whether it be in the States or or out of the country. I think the whole floral aspect gives a set decorator a tool 
to hide things that we might want to hide. For instance, if they settled on a location where one side of the mansion looks appropriate and maybe there's something else, an air conditioning unit, you know, like you said, but something else that's true to the location, but they don't want to see on camera. We have always used those kinds of concepts, planters and crafted ways with greenery to hide things that are a problem for us. Even a real behind the scenes aspect that one needs to consider as a set decorator is, you know, all the lighting aspect when you're shooting, we bring in, of course, with our lighting technicians and our director of photography. All of those things are attached to cable electrical cable, I don't think it's going to work when in the middle of a scene in Bridgerton, you're seeing big, black, thick cables being run over the beautiful grass. So we're also tasked with hiding these contemporary aspects in period pieces. And that's where floral pieces and elements really help us. The other behind the scenes kind of aspect that you got into with the creation of these very thoughtful awards that dig deeper into what we do is the best dining room or kitchen eating scene. Because especially in period work, what what are people eating? What are they eating off of? How is this presented? All those things take shape to really tell the story further. Like the crown, for instance, I when I was doing research on that, I, I was so appreciative how you brought up that in a scene, when you see the queen and her family, you see the distance between each chair and what that immediately gives as a visual clue. And then when you see, for instance, when Margaret Thatcher is with her ministers, everybody's like sitting closely together. In two seconds, you get a feeling not only of the character, but of lifestyle. You know, I thought that was a really astute point on your part, because the public has to think about what do they want to do around that table? Do you live a more formal life or do you, you know, are you wanting to be closer together. So would you recommend rectangular tables in general, or do you think round tables are better for creating ambiance of closeness for families? It's always really a considered choice that we make between the director myself, the production designer, and the director of photography, because it includes so much so how the scene is going to be shot. A lot of director of photographies are 100% round table, oval table, gotta be that. It also has to be considered not only how we're seeing all the actors together, but for instance, is it overhead lighting? Are you seeing a chandelier over this dining table? Now, very often, technically, what we do to provide a director of photography or the actual cameraman to be able to get closer to each actor's face and shoot one of our tricks of the trade is that we will sometimes build a piece of a table, let's say half of the table, especially when you're using a tablecloth, it's so easy to to hide, where the camera can literally get just half a table away from the actor. So it's it's half a round or half an oval or even oh, that's so interesting. half of the rectangle. You put 
the full table in, you dress it, you're shooting it, everyone's in the scene. And then what the onset dresser does is you pull that out, you put in our half table, and now you're only recreating literally half the table. And that camera goes in and you really feel the closeness to the actor because that's literally what's being shot. What I think is really great is that Hollywood has shown what is the secret of dining room floral arrangements. And what that secret is, is that you always should keep your flowers low. Don't have really high vases on a table because what it does, it blocks people from seeing each other and you want the conversation to flow. So if you're wanting to create distance, you can put higher flowers because then people can't talk to each other that easily. But you should always keep the flowers low. We do that under the guise of what will the camera see? You know, if you're going to block everyone at the table, especially when we're designing big events, you know, do you want to bring height to the room with the flowers? What's involved in the scene? What you're getting into right now is the nitty gritty of not only what the script calls for, but what is the best visual way to serve the script and execute it. Another one of the Aspire Design and Home Awards was for best artwork display, meaning not only are you seeing the production design and set decoration in every shot, but you're also seeing what the choices are, what gets put up on the walls, what is behind sometimes the the talking head, the close-up of each actor in a TV show. And that was another very well thought out give, actually, uh, to all the people who are artists wanting to see their work on, on set, on stage, on screen, and also to the people who do a lot of curating work now for film and TV by offering up art. We heard a really interesting story when we when we did that section. First of all, in The Undoing, you'll remember there was a very iconic scene with Donald Sutherland and Nicole Kidman looking at the painting in the Frick Museum. And then being that they were very posh people, you saw beautiful art also in their homes. You know, Donald Sutherland really loved his art, too. And when he even when he was sitting in a studio chair, he wanted to see the good art. Now, what I think that people could also use um, in reading this story and then applying it to themselves is that you can get prints of anything you like and then create different sizes so that this way it works for the scale of your room. Two tips that I thought are really worthwhile hearing about, you know, scale a picture to whatever your room is, which I thought made sense, and then tell stories through art. Like, for instance, in Succession, we find out that the lead character, Logan, is Scottish. So therefore, he had some Scottish prints in the back um, wall of Logan's office. And you may not have known it, but he created it there to be authentic. And I think that that's really key. What is your story? Why does art speak to you? In Billions, the art is very cold and very modern, just like the lead character. However, in Bridgerton, there was an amazing scene where the, the 
painting told the story because the Duke and Daphne in the gallery and you saw all this art and all of a sudden she stops in front of a landscape and it turns out that that was his mother's favorite painting and it showed immediate a connection to them and then their hands sort of found each other and it was a launching pad for their relationship and another piece in that which I thought was really important is that there were clues there um, of different art that was used. First of all, to show a multicultural environment, they did beautiful portraits of people of, you know, many different ethnic backgrounds, which was key, you know, to just so the span of family. And I loved that detail to make something normal. The comments that were made by both by the audience and by our art expert, Alexandra Pierce, who did such a great job on that piece for Aspire Design and Home Magazine. And she pointed out that in Empire, you had some of the best black artists uh, and emerging artists that were being able to give, um, being given a showcase for their great talent. Now, sure, there was Kahinda Wiley, who is a superstar right now, and, you know, started with that beautiful portrait with beautiful floral backgrounds. In fact, he was also the artist that did um, Barack Obama's portrait the Smithsonian and the way that he connected um, Obama, which I thought was so brilliant, is that the background, it looks just like a lush background, but actually it's flowers that represent all the countries that he's from. There was one from Hawaii. There was one from Indonesia. There was one from Illinois. So it was, you know, the state flower of Illinois. And I thought that that was just so clever because it was symbolism and storytelling through art. I don't know if people realize all the layers of research that we do and, and the way set decorators think about character, but the beauty of it is to be able to pull out all of these details and all these layers by giving these little detailed moments attention. And even if they don't resonate with the viewer the first time, maybe it's something that comes back to them when they see something that's similar that makes them think about that art or uh, they decide, you know, from, from being inspired by something in the flowers, they want to have those flowers in their own home. Even in another award that was specific to this year's presentation was the best use of small space. Take a film like Nomadland, when I don't think anybody, including set decorators who are watching, think about the set necessarily for a film like that. But here, in fact, creating that small world for the character took a lot of thinking, almost more than perhaps dressing an entire huge home. I think that that was one of the comments that was so consistent with what the set decorators told us, and that was designing for a small space, just like anyone, is harder because when you have lots of room, you can be a lot more, not only more playful, but you have more um, room for experimentation. It's almost like being in a boat and every single detail has to matter and there is no wiggle room at all. And it was interesting because some of the judges had chosen a show called Snowpiercer, 
honestly, I hadn't seen. And then when I did, I was just blown away because these were all a series of tiny rooms in trains. It also was a story about lots of different class systems. And you really saw how you can use small space well. One Night in Miami was just literally a hotel room and how the set decorator there used very specific colors to complement the characters. I mean, that was also what I found so interesting about in The Undoing, that gorgeous um, wallpaper. It was De Gurney, I believe. Yes. It was the teal, which seems to be the color of all the major shows this year, from The Queen's Gambit to The Undoing to Ratchet. Teal was like really used well. So I think that's something to think about. What is your coloring when you live in um, your space? Don't only think about what you love. Look at what looks good for what your coloring is. I mean, I thought that was interesting what, you know, Regina King talked about in um, One Night in Miami, you know, to find like the perfect color green and some oranges so that it would really complement the character. And um, that was clearly done in um, The Undoing because she had all those like teals and um, crimson colors that just look so great with Nicole. Kidman. Um, I thought that was really a smart detail. Tell us a little bit about what the plans are now for continuing to support both production designers and set decorators to uh, take the Aspire Best Dressed Rooms and TV and Film Awards further for our audience. Well, don't forget, come September, we have the Emmys. So right now, there are new patterns that are not going to change that have been created for because of the pandemic. So what we now realize is set decorators are so busy and they have never really gotten editorial love in the way that they are now going to in Aspire Design and Home because they are interior decorators who just work exclusively usually for film though in their free time as you know Beth a lot of the stars see what they do and say hey like everyone from Ryan Seacrest Ellen DeGeneres you name it we have so many of the judges who decorate for the private homes of the stars that are in their shows. It's true. I can tell you from my own experience, having done it for so many years, I actually got a call from a studio head in Los Angeles one year to do a New Year's Eve party over the Christmas holiday for a very famous celebrity. It was all because they knew that myself and my team could accommodate a quick turnaround, just like I do for a new episode every 10 days. Right. Because when you sometimes hire interior designers, and I've always wondered how people have the patience that I didn't, they'll say, oh, well, we can't get that fabric in for another six to eight months. Well, that will never happen on a TV or film set. They are going to find thing that works and you got to get it right now. And I'm a girl who likes immediate gratification and I like my room to be in order. In fact, I just redecorated my office and did everything within a week. I got everything I needed. So I I don't really want to wait for anything. And I think it's great for those who do. But that's what we also learn from set decorators is that, you know, they're incredibly efficient. I think that that's really important. So what we are going to do moving forward for the rest of the year 
here is that we are going to be covering set decor at least twice a month on whatever new show is coming out. And we're going to focus on the must-have item in there. Like, for instance, The Marvelous Mrs. Mizell, everybody loved that retro kitchen. And it created a new trend, I believe, in more colorful cabinets or certainly knobs and, you know, mint green and that cherry red. I think we're going to be seeing that because people really were nostalgic for that particular kitchen. And in fact, it won over, you know, the Queen's Gambit and Mank and and various other shows for best room to evoke nostalgia because that kitchen just spoke to so many people. You see fantastic elements of mid-century, which audiences just love, love, love. You know, when you see it, not only in the neutral colors, but it's just like, you know, very rectangular type of shapes. And then the lamps are very rounded with, you know, those big airy type of lampshades. Um, Kitchens certainly were more colorful. But what Bill Groom said, who also won our Elsie DeWolf Award for Lifetime Achievement, when you look at decor over history, which is what any good set decorator does, is they think, okay, what year is this taking place? And what was popular design? And who were the popular interior decorators? And what were the trends? They do deep research. But what he did say is that Living rooms don't change so much, but kitchens always do, because while people enjoy nostalgia, they want the most current appliances. So, you're, you know, the retros are actually a little hard to do from a TV standpoint. As far as trends, it's much more the hominess of the decor, but nobody is wanting a refrigerator from the 1950s. Well, that's not true. I, I wanted an, a refrigerator and a dishwasher from the 1970s and found one for Bridge and Tunnel, which was uh, the Ed Burns show I did taking place in the in the 70s, late 70s and 80s. But it's true. No one wants that for their home. But what we do want, perhaps, is the Regency furniture or some period piece of nostalgia or contemporary design. So along with Aspire magazine, I'm going to start to pull together Uh, get the look of uh, some specific shows that are very popular right now and give people actual retail sources of where to get what they're looking for. And I think that's the key. And what we will be doing at Aspire Design and Home with Beth's help is that after each show right now, we are going to give Shop That Look opportunity for all our readers because you love this show. We're going to tell you what are the elements that make it special. And then you, Beth, thankfully, are going to say, and this is where you can get it. Luckily, Netflix is gathering like a bunch of beautiful flowers all these series from around the world that were popular or should have been more popular and putting it on its streaming service so that people are discovering them. And I think that this for decor lovers, and again, Aspire Design and Home as well as Flower Power Daily, already has an audience of people who love design and realize that good design makes you happier because it's where you live. By streaming, you get to not only invest in the characters, but you're seeing the actual decor, you know, not having to wait every week, but literally seeing it all the time. And that is really, really helpful, you know, in um, making us pine for these products and also developing a better understanding about what we like and why. And having what everybody thinks is aspirational, completely attainable. 
that's really the give. We're going to start doing that as well as anyone can reach out to me with questions about certain specific pieces. And I'll do my best to give them the sources. Jill, thank you so much. It's been amazing having you on the podcast and working with you on this groundbreaking way to bring production design, set decoration, and floral design to the masses. Well, it's about time, isn't it? I mean, not only should they get editorial love, but these are the unsung heroes who have such talent. And I just wanted to tap into that talent and give it to our audience and saying, hi, everyone, you want to decorate your house without spending a fortune? Here's how to do it. And you can get the look of your favorite shows and characters. Thank you, Jill, so much. This has been a pleasure, and I'm so glad that all the questions that people need answered, Beth will answer because she really (laughs) knows her stuff. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Jill. A huge thank you to Jill Brooke for joining us today and talking to us about so many amazing different shows that are out there right now. And I'm really looking forward to checking out your column, Beth, in Aspire Home and Design Magazine and getting a chance to really getting this look from TV. I'm really, really, really excited about this entire thing. You guys can check out in our show notes. We'll have all the contact information for Jill Brooke, for her Instagram, for Flower Power Daily, and everywhere that you can reach her. Thank you guys so much for listening. And don't forget to please rate, review, and subscribe to Pod Clubhouse and decorating the set on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Five stars, people. It helps people find the show. Thank you. Decorating the set from Hollywood to your home is an original Pod Clubhouse production recorded, edited, and produced at Pod Clubhouse Studios. For more information, please visit us online at podclubhouse.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Decorating the Set at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.